0: All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to our Sunday worship. My name is Thomas. I am part of the pastoral staff here, and we are glad that you could join us today. Uh, this is your first time here. We are going through a sermon series, and kind of explain even like how we do our sermons. Uh, sometimes people wonder like what's the philosophy or how we go about things. Just know uh, there's three types of I guess sermons that we go through, or sermon series, there's something we call the text, which is we go through books of the Bible. There's something called topics, where we go through important topics we think our church needs to talk about. And we go through something called practice, which is this is something that we want our church to do. And so uh, just to give you a preview, in September, it's right now the ser- series we're going through, it's all about practice. We want to practice community. There's a clear agenda of what this is, and we want us to all do this together. In October November, we're going to go through a topic. I'm actually really excited about this topic. I feel is going provide a lot of framework for our church to understand how to journey through the Christian life. And then December, we go through the text, where we go through a book in the Bible. And then the next year... We're going to go through another practice for the new year, because that's kind of the time, the new year's resolution. How do we want to practice things at the church? And then we're going to go through from February to June, so about almost six months, we're going through a text, a book in the Bible, and in the summertime, we go through a topic. So that's just kind of like the rhythm of what our church is doing. And right now, we are going through a practice, the practice of community. This is part three, where we want to deconstruct what community looks like for the church, and what reconstruct how we should practice this together. And so today, we're going to be looking at two passages, uh, all from the gospel. Of Matthew. We're first going to look at Matthew chapter 17. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Or if you have your programs, you can turn there. And then we're going to flip over to Matthew chapter 26. And so here at our church, when we read the Bible, we believe God is alive and speaking. So can we all rise together as we read this passage? So Matthew chapter 17, we're going to start verse 1, all the way verse 9, and then skip over to 26. So there's Matthew writing starting verse 1. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured in front of them, and his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you want, I will set up three shelters here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down and were terrified. Jesus came up, touched them, and said, Get up, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Don't tell anyone about the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And then skipping over to Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he told the disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. This is the reading of God's word. Let me pray for us. Lord, we lift up this time to you, and we just pray your spirit could stir in our hearts the way we need to be stirred and especially during this practice series, to practice the Lord, the things that Jesus calls us to practice. We lift us up in your son's name. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So a few years ago, I met with the member who was struggling in our church, just kind of wrestling through, like, man, I'm having a hard time here. I've been a member here, but it's been kind of hard being part of this church. And so we grabbed coffee and we started talking. And I remember the sister, when we got down to it, we were talking about what the issue was. Like, was it me? Was it the sermon? Was it the philosophy of our church? And it boiled down to what the number one reason why people tend to struggle at church or leave a church. It was community. She was having a hard time really feeling like she plugged in and belonged to the community. And here was the problem, though. The problem with her was that she was doing everything she was supposed to do. Like everything, like she came to Sundays, like every Sunday she would come. Doesn't matter. Her vacations ended on Saturday because she'd come to church on Sundays. That's how faithful she was. She would stick around for that post worship time where we grab coffee and we spend time together. She wouldn't just go home. Like she would endure sometimes that awkward moment and try to mingle with people. Every time we had a church lunch or some type of social event or football, she would go into that. She'd play, she'd participate. And she was also part of our community groups. She went faithfully, and her community group was awesome. She went all the time. She connected with people. So even though she was doing everything she was supposed to do to participate in the life of the church, she couldn't help but still feel lonely. She said, it's still kind of like lonely here. And I feel like if we're honest with ourselves, that's a lot of us, where a lot of you, you're involved with the life of this church or maybe the previous church that you were a part of. You have social circles, you have friends, you're part of the programs, and yet you still feel a bit lonely. Even if it's not the church, if you have friends during the week, coworkers, you might be married, you have kids. But some of us, if we're honest with ourselves, there's like this loneliness that's still kind of there deep within our souls. There's a neuro professor, his name is John Cassiopo. He said the reason why we all feel lonely despite having different social circles like that. It's because all of us have different needs. There are different needs within us. And those different needs leads to different forms of loneliness. He narrows down. There's three general types of loneliness that human beings experience. And one's on the screen. First, there's this existential loneliness. Existential loneliness is that deep feeling of emptiness and the purpose of your life. Like, you don't know what the purpose or meaning of what your life is. Uh, That's where all the Disney movies profit off of us. It's all about finding your way and identity. That's the existential loneliness. And so people who experience that, they try to match that or minister to that by setting goals from themselves or figuring out what their life purpose is. That's where they try to do mindfulness and yoga and Eastern religion. Or that's why people turn to Jesus. They turn to God because they want to make meaning and sense of their life. That's an existential loneliness. But there's another type of loneliness that's there. which is called a social loneliness. And what a social loneliness is, is you want to watch Barbie. You want to watch Oppenheimer, but you have no idea who to call. You have no idea who's going to hang out and it's free for you that weekend. Or you want to be part of a group, but you don't really know what group you belong to. This type of loneliness leads people to join a club. It leads them to join a hobby group. It leads them to play a sports league. It leads them to come to church. They don't really care about Jesus. They just want to find people. That's a social loneliness that some people experience. And then there's the last category, which is an emotional loneliness. The emotional loneliness is interesting where it's not really this social thing that's missing, but you don't really have close relationships where people know the deepest part of you. Like They don't know like, what's really going on. And I realized like when I was talking to the sister who was struggling at our church, she was not struggling with an existential loneliness because she had a really good relationship with Christ. She felt really deep in her relationship with God. She felt faithful. She understood the gospel. Nor did she feel this loneliness with, uh, socially because, again, she had a good community. She hung out with people all the time. But there was an emotional loneliness I think she was experiencing. A lack of people who really knew what was happening in the deepest parts of her soul. In the sermon series that we've been looking at, we're looking at how Jesus practiced community and how his followers practiced community. And if you've been journeying with us, you, you would know that in the first part of our sermon series, Jesus, he, when he did community, it wasn't mainly for to connect with people or just people he had chemistry with, but he wanted to form these people into people who practice love to be more and more like Jesus, who is love. And then last we talked about how the early church, they, when they practiced community, it wasn't like a club, it wasn't like a friend group, but it was family. They practice this family type of love that's there. And one of the big takeaways I hope we had was that the church community, this does not have to be your friend group. It is not necessarily this group that you have this awesome chemistry with. Because anyone who follows Jesus, who wants to grow to become like him, you are welcomed here in this community. And that's what community is for. But what do you do about that loneliness that's still sometimes inside of us? I hope some of you didn't get the impression that if you're lonely, too bad stuff it, suppress it, that's sinful, let the church be your family. Like, that could be maybe sometimes what someone's might have taken away, and I hope that's not the case. Because that loneliness that's there, it's legitimate. And I think all of us, if we're honest ourselves, there is this low-key loneliness that could be there, even in the church. And so what do we do about that? Is there anything that could tackle that? The answer is this, this term called spiritual friendships. Spiritual friendships is something that you could do a whole sermon series on, but I just want to introduce this category for our church. And it's something that I think all of us, it's the, it's the category that we are looking for to kind of articulate this struggle that some of us might be feeling. And so today what we want to talk about is, well, what are spiritual friendships? How are they different than your social friendships? How are they different than the community that you experience with the church? And to answer those questions, we're going to look at the life of Jesus again And we're going to look at how Jesus, he doesn't just practice community, but he practices deep spiritual friendships. And looking at his life, we're going to talk about three things. Number one, we want to recognize spiritual friendship. Like, what does it look like? Two, we want to understand spiritual friendship. So let's really dig deep into what it is. And three, how do we practice spiritual friendship? So recognizing it, understanding it, practicing it. First, recognizing spiritual friendships. So in the Gospels, when you read the Bible and you go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you look at the life of Jesus, you'll notice that he relates to all types of people in different ways. And there's generally speaking, most scholars would say there are three general categories of the types of people who Jesus spends time with. There are the crowds, the general people who Jesus just eats with, who Jesus talks with, who Jesus heals, he converses, he debates with. That's the crowds, that's the Pharisees, that's the Sadducees. And then you have the 12 disciples. These are the folks who Jesus shared life with, who he practiced community with. He would sleep in the same lodges as them. He would travel with them. They would go sailing together. He would disciple them. He would rebuke them. He would speak into their lives. And then you have this third category that we haven't tackled yet, which is the inner circle. Jesus, with three people within his community, he would share the deepest parts of his life. And we know who these three people are. They are part of the 12. If you look in the Bible, it's on the the, uh, slide here. The Gospels and the book of Acts, they list the 12 disciples, Jesus' community, all the time. And the reason why they do that is because they want you to know this is Jesus' community. And it's really important that this is a group he shares life with. And yet every time it's listed, next slide, Peter, James, and John are always first listed. They're always on top of the list. Because this is Jesus' inner circle. These are the three, Peter, James, and John, who Jesus wouldn't just share life with, but the most intimate, deepest parts of his life, he would invite these three to come. Not the rest of them, just these three. For example, the two passages we just saw, those are two very deep, intimate moments in Jesus' life that he invited these three only to come look at. For example, Matthew 17, in the passage in the program, this is called the transfiguration, where Jesus, he was traveling with the 12 up to Jerusalem, and he shared with them that the Messiah is going to suffer and die, and they're all confused about that. So what Jesus does is he goes, hey, he's with the 12, they're making camp, and Jesus goes, I'm going to go up to the mountain, and he only invites Peter, James, and John to go up with them. Look what it says in 17 verse 1. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother, John, And he led them up a high mountain. He could have invited all 12, but he only asked those three. Very interesting. Or Matthew chapter 26, the second passage we looked at. This is the garden of Gethsemane. This is where Jesus, this is his last night before he dies, before he is crucified. He's with the 12 again. And he goes off to pray in the garden. And again, he could have done it with all 12, but for some reason, look what it says in verse 36 and 37. It says, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, And he told the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And then, taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he went to the garden. Interesting. What's going on here? Why did Jesus only invite these three? Why didn't he invite the others? Some might say that he loved these three more than the other other disciples. It's kind of silent on that. Were they more spiritually mature than the others? Do you read about them? Not really. Did he have the longest history with these three? Because they were the first followers that he invited, so maybe it was because of tenure. That might be a plausible theory, except poor Andrew. Andrew was one of the four he invited, and for some reason he was left out. So what's going on here? And again, we can't make a guess. The only guess we can make is, well, they're all followers of Jesus, Peter, James, and John. They were all already part of Jesus' community, so they shared life together. And at the very least, when Jesus invited them, they all responded to his invitation. In other words, he just reached out to them. He was very intentional and said, would you come with me? And they would come and follow him. And so to summarize, in Jesus' life, he would minister to the crowds, he would share life with his disciples, the 12, but then with these three, he practiced spiritual friendship. This deep inner part of his life, he opened up to them. Recently, or not recently, a few months ago rather, I invited my wife and I invited our neighbors to come and enjoy a Korean barbecue with us. We, we asked them, hey, did you guys ever eat Korean barbecue before? And they said, we did, we did a couple of times. We love it. And we're like, great, great bonding moment because we love our neighbors. And so we took them out. We went to a Korean barbecue place. And we're putting all of our foods on our plates, going the barbecues out. And all, we looked at our neighbor's plates. All they had was rice and meat on their plate. Well, our plates were filled with, like, lettuce and the sauces and all the side dishes. And we're like, what are you doing to our neighbors? And they're like, what are you doing? We're like, dude, these are the side dishes. This is how you eat Korean barbecue. It's not just the meat and the rice. You get the lettuce. You got to get that lettuce for that freshness. You get the sauce because you need some of that sauce to just kind of really elevate the taste of the meat. And you got to have the soup that's there that just kind of makes everything wash down. And then you have the little, these little rice things that you wrap it in. It's awesome. Like, you guys don't eat it that way? And they're like, no, we don't. We thought all those side dishes were just these weird dishes, and we never ate them. And we're like, oh, my gosh. It's all about the side dishes. Like that completes and brings together this entire meal. You're not enjoying the full capacity, the full potential of what this barbecue is supposed to be. And so when they tried to eat it our way, they're like, This is amazing. You Koreans are awesome. Like they were kind of sharing how amazed we were about all these flavors. And I kind of feel like this is, for a lot of us here, what we struggle with with community is when you think about community, it's so like one dimensional. It's like this basic group of people you spend time with. When you look at what Jesus' life was, was he wasn't just have this general sense of community. There are different levels of intimacy he experienced. Some people he ate with, some people that he rebuked, some people he taught, some people he got really close with, some people who he revealed a lot about himself because he was experiencing the full gamut of what community is, the full potential of how to relate to people. And for a lot of us here, we don't experience that because maybe for a lot of us, it's kind of hazy. We don't really know how to make sense of that. We, no one ever taught us what it means to practice community this way. There's a, a term in sociology, I'm not sure if some of you might have heard of it, it's called Proxemics. And proxemics, what it says is uh, the types of relationships that you have, it's based upon the proximity that you are to them. So meaning that if there's a certain group of people, if there's a group of people that's largely together, the way they relate to one another, it depends on like how big that group is, how close you are to one another. And depending on how big that group is or how small it is, it limits the way you can relate to one another. Or to put it maybe a better way, it defines the way of how you live to one another. And there's four general spheres of how people relate to each other. Here's the first one. There's the public. This is about 70 plus people. And this is, think of a sports game, think of a concert, think of Sunday worship. This is pretty much the group when you meet together, it's a large group where you all share a common story. You all practice a ritual together. You all see the world a specific way or a sports team a certain way or some type of thing a certain way. But it's like this large group of people, and that's the most you can relate to one another. So if you try to get deep with this group, it's not going to happen in this large setting because it's too big. At most, it's like this common story that you have. Here's a second sphere that people relate to, though. It's a social sphere. This is about 20 to 50 people. When you have 20 to 50 people in the group, this is, think of your, your work office, think of your neighborhood, think of a sports club. This is your social activity group, the people who you share a common space with, the people who you share a common hobby with, and this is like, it's fun. This is where you do common things together. But then there's this third space, and this is about five to 12 max. If you surpass 12, you just can't do it. This is where you actually kind of get to know each other. This is like your friend group, your community. Uh, Carl Jung, he's a a psychologist, therapist, he says 12 is the maximum amount of people who you can know your shadow side of your life, meaning who you really are, the dark part of your life, maximum 12, that's gonna be the capacity for each person. Before I get even deeper into this, there's this last circle called the intimate circle. And this is maximum two to three. If it surpasses three, you just can't experience this. This is someone who knows the deepest parts of what's happening in your life, who can speak into the deepest parts of your life, a spouse, a best friend, a roommate. You can practice all of this, public, social, personal, with anyone who follows Jesus. But the intimate has to feel safe. You could do all this with anybody, but the intimate, you have to have somebody, though, in that space for you. And when you look at the life of Jesus, it actually, you could break it down where it breaks down like this. If you go to the next slide, Jesus, he had the crowds, the 70, who he ministered to. He had disciples, there were more than 12, where he would teach, he would walk with. But then he had the 12, which he, that was his community group. That was the people he shared life with. But within that 12 was the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, who he invited into the depths of his life. And here's the thing, some of you here in this room, You are naturally good at some of these circles and not others. Some of you here in this room, you're really comfortable with the first two. Like large crowds, no problem. Social crowds, awesome. But you are freaked out by the smaller crowds, by the intimate crowds. Like you're that person, you're really fun in a group of like 15, 20, but you go on a road trip with one of those folks, you're really awkward. Like, it's really weird talking to you in that car. Why? Because you don't know how to talk in those intimate settings. Versus others of you, you actually really like the intimate settings. You like being, like, small groups. You like just a small crowd. You like being real, and you don't like small talk. But those larger settings, like, you really freak out. Like, you can't handle the large crowds. You can't handle large groups. You can't handle social settings. And here's the thing. All of us come naturally to different spaces, But you actually need all these spaces in your life to experience the fullness of community. For example, next slide. If you take out the public in your life, what happens is you become very tribal because your group is so small. It's a very us and them mentality. You're just, it's groupthink. And a lot of people, when you don't gather together in the large settings, like a church, for example, you become tribal where it's just you and your, you think a certain way, very narrow-minded. And that's how some of us experience life. For some of you are missing the social what ends up happening is your life is just not life-giving. I mean imagine being married to somebody you get really deep. You go to concerts together, but you never really have like this casual fun time together. It's not really a fun marriage. It's kind of not really life-giving. Life is a little more bland when that's miss- missing. For some of you you may not have the just the the personal where you have close circles of people and large circles, but there's not this group of 12 that you're surrounding yourself with and you're not going to grow. Because you need community to grow. You need more than those three people in your life to really grow to understand who you are, who others are, and who God is. But then just some of us which is most relevant today. You have all this, but you're miss- you don't have two to three people in your life. And when you don't have that, man, you, you see like the big picture, you're having fun, you're growing, but you're lonely. There's a deep loneliness that's kind of there. And for all of us here, I think we kind of know what the bigger spheres look like. You're forced to interact with large crowds, social crowds. The past two weeks, we've been talking a lot about the personal, like the 12. But what does this intimate space look like? What does spiritual friendship look like? And that leads to the second point understanding spiritual friendships. What is spiritual friendships, and how is it different than other friendships? The ancient Celts or the early church in Ireland, actually, you can almost trace this back to the third century of the early church. They actually had a term for spiritual friendships. Uh, This is a term that's on the screen. It's called Anamkara. The word Anam means soul. Kara means friend. They call it a soul friend. And a soul friend is someone who you confess and reveal the hidden intimacies of your life. When you're with the community, 12 people, your real self just comes out. You don't maybe intentionally do it. They just know that person... They're the, they just they over-talk. Or that person, they're really critical. Like you, it just leaks out of you. This friendship, though, when it comes to the two or three, it doesn't leak out. You have to be intentional. You have to unlock this part of you because you don't want people to see that. It's someone who you reveal the intimacies of your life to. And this is what sets it apart from the casual Friends. The Anamkara, the person who is your soul friend, the spiritual friend, is someone who you are very intentional with, and they have an active presence in your life. And we see that this is what Jesus practiced with Peter, James, and John in both the Transfiguration and the Garden of Gethsemane. The Transfiguration, Matthew 17, when Jesus brings them up to the mountain and he reveals himself, uh, look at verse 2 to 4, what it says again. So Matthew 17, it says in verse two, Jesus transfigured in front of them and his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as light and suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him and Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you want, I'll set up three shelters here. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Bizarre scene, interesting scene. When I was younger, I read the scene of the transfiguration. I just thought of Lion King, I thought it was like Simba and the, the clouds move. And you see this giant Jesus come up and he's in all his glory. And then Moses comes up and then Elijah and there's these giant cloudy figures. So it's like this powerful moment of glory that's there. That's what I always imagined. And yet I don't think that's what was going on at all. Because why would Peter be like, oh, can we build shelter for you? It's like, dude, why would he need shelter if there are these giant cloud figures? Most likely what was gone, they're just normal size. It was just regular Jesus. And yet, it was like those TikTok videos where you see these people and they take off their makeup. They're like, that's what you really look like? Oh my goodness. Except for Jesus, it's like, that's what you really look like? It's amazing. You're glorious. That's what Jesus was doing at this moment. He was taking off the makeup. He was showing his true nature. And not only that, you saw Elijah and Moses. Why are they there? Because Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. And they all point to the Messiah. They're saying, you're the Messiah. And then you see this cloud figure come out and this voice come out saying, this is my beloved son. You're the son of God. In other words, what's going on here? This is an intimate moment that Jesus is sharing with Peter, James, and John, revealing his true inner nature. And he only did it with the inner circle. Fast forward to Gethsemane. Jesus goes to pray in the garden. And again, he only brings Peter, James, and John, which is very unusual. Usually when Jesus goes to pray, it's always by himself. But for some reason here, he invites these three to come. And the reason why he says this time when he's praying, hey, I want you three to come, is because look at verse 37 and 39, what it says. Jesus said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. And going a little further, he fell face down and prayed, my father... If it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. This word cup is a very popular Old Testament imagery that represents God's wrath. And Jesus, he was about to go to the cross. And a lot of us here, if you grew up in the church and you imagine the cross, you think of the nails, you think of the whips. But Jesus didn't fear any of that. What he feared was the cup. He feared the wrath of God that he was going to take on behalf of all the world. Sin was going to be paid for at the cross. And Jesus, He feared that. Imagine a final that you're supposed to be taking and you're about to really bomb that final. You know it's going to not work out for you or you're not sure how it's going to work out and you just feel that drop in your stomach. That's like Jesus to the thousandth power, what he was experiencing right before he went to the cross. And Jesus in that moment, he wanted people with him. He wanted people with him. And so, given that scenario, let's make a couple observations about this. One is that, do you realize that in both the Transfiguration and the Garden of Gethsemane, together they reveal the true nature of Jesus? In the Transfiguration, we see that Jesus, he's not fully just man, but he's God. He's fully God. That's who he really is. But in the Garden, he's just not just God, but he's also fully man. Liberals highlight the humanity of God, that Jesus is just a human conservatives, though, we highlight that he's God, and we forget that he's also human. But you need to hold both intention. Jesus is fully God and fully man, and that's the only way you can make sense of the Bible, the only way you can make sense of Jesus' life. And here, in the, in the passages that we just saw, Jesus, his humanity is being shown. Jesus, he could have spoken to Moses and Elijah by himself. He could have prayed in the garden by himself, but why did he want people with him? I used to think when people were like, man, I just need somebody in my life. I just need somebody in my life. I feel alone. I used to judge them thinking, dude, you're so spiritually immature in my mind, not outside. I'm like, don't you, you just need God. You just need God and you should be good. God is sat- the one who satisfies everything. You don't need anyone else. You just need him. And I realized a lot of that, it sounded nice. And there's some truth to that. And yet, I'm not sure how much that aligns with the story of the Bible. Because in the Bible, when you read the story, it begins in Genesis 1 to 2 where God made everything, saying everything's good, everything's good. Genesis 3, sin came into the world, and then everything bad started happening. But before Genesis 3, Genesis 1 and 2, everything's good, everything's good, and yet one thing was not good. The man was alone. It's not good. That wasn't the way it's supposed to be. And that all happened before sin. Because mankind, we were made in the image of God, and the story of the Bible says we God is a triune God, and we were meant to relate to people. In other words, the man being alone, that was a sign not that he was imperfect, but that he was perfect, that he was made for people. Jesus, he longed to be with people, not because he was imperfect, but because he was perfect. It wasn't because he was immature, because he was fully mature. He understood this is what we were designed for to be in relationships. And our third observation is that Peter, James, and John, they weren't just homies of Jesus. They weren't just like, hey, man, I'll get you a bobo afterwards. Like, they weren't like that type of group for Jesus. They were there for Jesus' highest moments in the transfiguration and in his darkest moments. And these weren't just like worldly things. These were just like deep spiritual stuff. His identity as the Messiah and the wrath of God being fought, poured upon him. This was not just a support group. They were there to be with him in his soul. And if we're honest, for a lot of us, this is what we're craving this deep spiritual friendship where people know deeply who you are. And it's hard to find. The world, our coworkers, it's too shallow. It's hard to kind of go that deep. Post Sundays on church, it's too brief. We just don't have time on a Sunday sometimes. And even community groups, it's too big. 12 is too, you can't really get that intimate in a group of 12. And the reason why you're still longing for something more deep inside of you. Close companions, it's not because you're dysfunctional. It's not because you're immature. It's because you're human. Your soul craves deep spiritual friendships because you're made to be like Jesus. One author puts it like this quote on the screen We cannot do life alone. We were not made for it. Jesus had people by his side, he had an inner circle. And if we want to follow and be more like Jesus, we need to have friends and an inner circle a circle we can trust, a circle of people that can pray with us, read the Bible with us, love us with all of our faults, accept us, but wants to journey with us to be closer and more like Christ. So brief question before we move to the last point. Do you have people like this in your life? Like two to three people where like they care for your soul. I'm not talking about back in high school. I'm not talking about back in college. I'm talking like right now. Do you have like two to three people where you're like, yeah. They know what's happening deep in my soul right now. Some of you, you think you have this, but you really don't. You confuse your social group for your inner circle group. You confuse the people you hang out with as like your soul care people, and they're not that because those two to three people you hang out with, you do everything together, basketball, video games, watch shows, hang out, but you never get deep. You never lay out your burdens, your problems with them. Not the deepest ones that are there. Or some of you have that one friend. Well, when they visit from New York, I get deep with them. Awesome. We all That's a great thing to have. That's not the circle that you need. They don't know your life. You're reporting to them how your marriage is. You're reporting to them how your job is. And they're just affirming you. Sure, you get deep, but they're not part of your community. That doesn't really... That's not the inner circle that's there. You confuse your social circle for your inner circle. Some of you, you have someone like that. Like, No, I'm really close to people. I have like that co-worker that I spend all the time with. I have my high school friends that we're just really chummy with, and that's good enough for me. And that's all good, but here's the problem. If you don't talk about what's happening with you and Jesus with that person, that's not really a soul care person. Because if Jesus is really important to your life, they can never relate with you if they have no idea what you're talking about when you talk about Jesus. I'm married with a wife and three kids. Imagine I'm super close to somebody, and they're like, you know, you talk a lot about your wife and your kids, but I just can't relate to you, Tom. I have nothing to say. No problem, they just won't get me. They won't get my problems, they won't get my burdens, because they don't understand what's central to my life, my, my family. They're really important to me. And if you don't get that, you're gonna have a really hard time getting me. If Jesus is central to your life, and the person you're closest to has no idea what that's about, they won't get you. That's why people who are married, and when you have to go, oh, I could date anybody, it doesn't matter if they're a Christian or non-Christian, if you do that, give it time when you're a Christian and you're married to somebody who's not a Christian, what ends up happening is it's very lonely. Because if Jesus is central to your life, that means your spouse does not get what's central to you. Unless Jesus really isn't central to you. Unless he doesn't matter to you. Then it's all good. But if Jesus is really important, you need somebody who also understands that about you. You need Christian brothers and sisters who could do soul care for you. And lastly, some of you here, maybe you're like, you know, okay, deep friendships, that's all good, but. You're kind of more like arm's length with people because maybe you're the independent type. Like, you know, you just live like, you know, it's all about me. I could just live alone. I don't need people. Or it could be if you're more honest, like a lot of past hurts. Like you feel hurt by people. You had close friends, but they all moved away or some type of drama happened. And it's just really hard to get close to people again like that. Just realize if that's you, where you're kind of almost learning to not need people, you are becoming less and less like Jesus, not more. Jesus had close people to him. And for you to say, hey, I don't need close people, you are becoming less like Jesus rather than more like him. Need people. Let yourself need people. The fact that you need people is a sign that there's something good in your life. It's a sign that you're, there's something jesus see in your life when you need people. The person who doesn't need anybody, oh, you're pretty far from Jesus. That's pretty far from what you're meant to be as a human. And so lastly, how do we do this, though? How do we find spiritual friendships in our lives? And that leads to the practice. Three practices. Maybe all three are relevant for you, or maybe for you it's just one of them. Whatever works for you, I hope it's helpful. Number one, take initiative. Take initiative. Peter, James, and John didn't naturally become Jesus' inner circle. It wasn't like he's going to the mountain, they're like, we'll join you. It wasn't like that at all. Jesus had to invite them, go, hey, would you come with me? Come with me to this mountain. Come with me to this garden. He took the initiative to get deeper because you cannot wait for spiritual friendships like this to emerge. Again, it's like this lockbox. You must unleash it for people, let people see the real you, invite them to see the real you. This doesn't mean you go up to people going, hey man, you want to be my Anamkara? you want to be my spiritual friend? It's like, dude, you're going to freak people out if you do that. Like, they're not going to be your friend. <laughs> Instead, it's like these subtle, slow, like, hey, just be a little more intentional with somebody. Maybe more intentional with an existing relationship. Maybe in your community group, you're like, you know, I kind of, I'm not sure if I vibe with all of them, but there's this person I really vibe with and I want to grab coffee with them. Or it might be someone you just, I just respect that person from afar and I just want to get to know them a bit more. Or it might be somebody that you just, again, a pre-existing friendship. Like, you know, we should get, I want to just get a little bit deeper and reveal a little bit of my burdens to them. Personally, for me, I experienced spiritual friendships this way where I always had to take the initiative. Uh, and by spiritual friendships, meaning again, they're not my best buddies. It's just people who like, I got the deepest conversations with, and it was consistent in my life. I remember when I graduated college, I was just lost. I was like, I have no idea how to do my finances. I have no idea how to purchase a home. I have no idea how to get married. I have no idea what family life is. I'm just lost. And so, what I did was, I tried to just find people that I would meet with and see would they be willing to meet with me to talk about this stuff? Because I'm really like, worried. And so I remember I met with this guy who I respected who was really spiritual, and we just talked about really deep things. We weren't best buddies. I would never watch a movie with them, but man, we got deep. Like, we met monthly. We just got really deep about just spiritual things. I met with another person, same time, where he was a recently married uh, husband, and I was dating my my wife right now, but at the time she was my girlfriend, and I just asked him all these questions, like, what's marriage like? Oh my gosh, that sounds hard. What's going on? I just learned all about marriage from him. We met, like, monthly. And I reached out to this older dad who had kids and had a home. And I was like, hey, how did you manage your finances? How did you parent? What's family life like? And I tell you, those like two years when I met with those folks, it just blew my mind. It set like this foundation of like, oh, okay, like this is life. I just received a lot of friendship there. Spiritual, deep, deep stuff. Again, we didn't have the greatest chemistry, but we had the deepest conversations. And they're just consistent in my life. I remember later on, someone reached out, a couple people reached out to me going, Hey, can we meet your dad and let's talk about that? I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm the old guy now. And so they're reaching out to me. Again, deep stuff. I loved it. I loved just sharing deep stuff with them. I don't expect to hang out all all the time, but having that monthly rhythm of just meeting and having these deep conversations, very formative. Very formative. They weren't social friends, they were deep spiritual friendships. Here's the second thing for us don't just take initiative, but some of us, you need to be intentional. I think it's on the slide there. Is it on the slide? Yep. Oh, nope. Go back. Yeah, you need to be intentional. Uh, some of you, you, even if you took the initiative, you don't know what to do. I've, had pe- I've heard stories where someone's man, someone asked me to, like, meet with them. I'm like, hey, what do you want to meet about? They're like, I don't know. Like, oh, okay, what do you want to talk about? I have no idea. I just heard, I just want you to meet with me. <laughs> it's like, man, this is hard. <laughs> like, don't do that. <laughs> like, that's, that's going to be really challenging to develop some type of deep friendship that's there. There's a, a, an author named Dr. John Powell. He says... There's uh, five levels of conversation that you have, and each of those levels lead to a deeper type of intimacy. Married couples take note, but for the community, this is something that we should all be in knowledge of. Here's the first level. Cliché. Cliché is a type of conversation, just as it sounds, where you go, how are you? What have you been up to? How's the weather? Good, great. Oh, yeah, look at that weather. That's all cliché, and that's how a lot of people start talking to each other, all cliché. Here's the second level, Facts. What did you do today? You think it's interesting over the summer? You just mentioned facts about yourself and about your life. Here's the third level, opinions. Who's going to win the game? What do you think about the election? What do you think about gun rights? What do you think about abortion? What do you think about Christianity? Again, you're just sharing opinions. Again, that's a little bit deeper. And a lot of us here, those are all things about you. But here's the fourth level when you get deeper, feelings. How are you feeling? I'm feeling sad these days. I'm feeling worried these days. I'm feeling thankful these days. I'm feeling blessed these days. I'm feeling scared these days. Oh, now something's happening? And here's the last level, transparency. This is where you're not just sharing how you are, but who you are. This is me. No edit button. No Instagram filter. It's just me in the raw. Every relationship begins level one to two, Sometimes a lot of you think, oh, I'm really close to this person because you're at level three, and most of you stop right there. A lot of the community groups that meet in our church, they stop at level three. Actually, they stop at level two. How was your week? Good. Oh, I went this out this way. I went out to the summer to have my fun with my friends. Can I pray for anything? No, nothing to pray for. You're never going to get close. You're never going to get deep because you just lock something up inside of you. If you get deep, you might think, oh, I'm sharing my opinions about things. But there's something about level four and five where this is you. And you'll be surprised, a lot of married couples, they also are stuck at level three. They don't know each other. They're not sharing what's going on in their souls. And oftentimes that happens because we don't know how. Or you're so broken, there's something so broken in you that you have no idea how to navigate through any type of relationship that's not shallow, that's not superficial. Because there's so much like either pain or struggle that's down there that you just are so disconnected from. And it gets revealed in your relationships. Some of us here, we need to initiate with safe people and not just share things about you, but really share who you are. There are people in my life where they're not... I can't do this with everybody. Just some people, I'm like, hey man, can I share some crazy thoughts with you? I know I'm a pastor. I know I'm a Christian, but can I take off the pastor hat for one moment? And let me just share like my crazy thoughts. I just share some crazy thoughts. It would hinder so many people if they knew what I was thinking. And some people who I shared that with, it hindered them. I'm like, okay, I can never do that with you again. Pastor hat, can't share that way. But the few people, and they're not many, but there are a few people who are like, man, they can receive it well. They're like, dude, I get it. That must be hard. You're human and they receive what I'm sharing, oh my gosh, it's so healing. Like, I feel not just loved, but I feel known. And all of us, we actually need people like that in our life, the rawness inside of us, because we deep down want to be not just loved, but want to be known. That's our deepest desire. And the last thing that we need is don't just initiate or be intentional, but lastly, give it time. Give it time. You know, true soul friendships like this, it is not a given. If you're like, man, that's right. And I don't have that here. Oh, there's something wrong with this church. Go to another church. It will take you years to find something like that. Because soul friendships, spiritual friendships, it is a rare gift that takes time over trial and error. You know, Jesus' inner circle, James, uh, Peter, James, and John, they sucked, He's he like, dude, can you pray with me in the garden? We didn't read that part of the text. They fell asleep on him. They just fell asleep. If I was Jesus, I'd be like, dude, you are out of the inner circle. Come here, Andrew. Come here, Judas. I'd like I let, invite other people come. They messed up on him. And yet, I love this quote by Henry Now, and He says, you know what the key is to making a deep, lasting friendship last? He says, forgive each other for not being God. Forgive that person for not being God to you. So much of our problems with people, so much of relationships that end prematurely is you're, you're almost treating them like God. Like they should fulfill you in this perfect way that only God can do. Forgive that person for not being God. He was never meant to be that for you. And here our church this, we want to create spaces where you, could, you just are invited to experience community in these different ways. For us as a church, Sundays is our public gathering when we come together. Because during the week, you're just inside this world of like narratives, narratives of what happiness is, what joy is, what life is. But here at this church, we're reminded that you are not alone in your story, that there is a God who rules and reigns. And there are hundreds of people who believe in the same thing you do. That's why it's so important that we gather and we sing these songs together of these truths. We also have lunches and events, and those are not meant to get deep. If you get deep, awesome, accident, by chance. That's not what they're designed for. Lunches are just that, to have lunch and just to enjoy, to have life-giving moments as a church together. But then if you want to experience the personal, you want to grow, that's where our community group space is for. This is where we share life. We grow together. But in those deep, intimate spaces of people knowing your souls, this is where we hope in community groups, that's why we have smaller groups. We hope just to create spaces where you have a small group to share life with occasionally. We hope have, that's our formation groups. We want to have that be a space that starts in January. We're just with three people sharing life together. And we hope there could be organic moments where you just go up to people and you could have uh, people to come and share life with. But we're just opening just different spaces so that we can experience the full barbecue. And you're at your own pace. Come and join these different spaces. Just know there are seasons in my life where I did all this. And man, sometimes it's just like, it's awesome. I'm like, man, I love Korean barbecue. Like, I love community. It is great. And sometimes it's like, oh, I'm tired. Like, it feels like a discipline. People are annoying. I've had a rough week. Or it's just not really flowing well. And it's not bad enough where I want to leave. It's just like in this weird in-between of it's kind of okay, not okay. And just know that's going to be the normal experience. Sometimes community life is awesome. Sometimes it sucks. Those are the rarities. It's usually this in-between gray zone. You know why? That's life. That's life. Marriage is awesome. Sometimes it sucks, but 80% of the time, it's this interesting gray zone where it's like, that's life. Some joys, some not-so-joys, some disciplines, some not-disciplines. It's just, that's the way it is. And that's community. Forgive the community for not being God. Forgive the community for not being heaven. It's this in-between zone that we just put our lives into, that we just share with and see what the Spirit does. So to conclude, let me just end with this. Again, for me personally, though, I have trust issues. Uh, If you tell me to be part of a community, I'm just like, oh, man, I don't know. Okay, I'll do it. But if they don't show up, if they don't believe what I believe, or they say something wrong, like, you know, there's like the sensitivity kind of rise. And when I look at Jesus, I'm like, man, Jesus, he was so free to do community. Like, he willfully, knowingly did community with someone who would betray him. He knowingly invited those three, Peter, James, and John, to be his inner circle, even though they just failed him. And yet, he just did community with them. So free, so willing to love. How was he able to practice intimacy this way? And I can't help but think his secret was because he practiced intimacy with God first. When you look at the life of Jesus, he had this interesting rhythm. He would be with people, a lot of people, disciples, and then he'd go off away from them, silence and solitude. Alone with the Father. Alone with his true inner circle, Father, Son, and Spirit. Back to the people, back with the Father. Intimacy with the people, intimacy with the Father, Son, and Spirit. Very interesting dynamic. And what's so interesting about that is because both of those, that's when your real self comes out with people, deep people, or alone with God, and we are all freaked out by that. There are so many people in this room, when we practice silence and solitude, I'm like, how is it that I can't do it? I need music in the background. I can't be by myself. I need sound machine. I need something. Because to be alone in your thoughts freaks you out. Because it's the real you. And to be really deep with people, super close to them, where they know your soul, that freaks us out too. Because that's the real you. So you know what you do instead of going that? You just do this weird in between. Shallow with God, shallow with people, your false self being presented to both of them. And so perhaps what we need most is to go to somebody safe Someone who invites us, hey, let the real you just come down. Show your real self to me. We know that Jesus, he invites us all the time. This is why Jesus died for us. He invites us to join his inner circle, Father, Son, and Spirit, so that your sins could be forgiven, and you could find the deepest part of your life being restored through fellowship with the Father, Son, and Spirit. And when you are in Christ, the deepest part of yourself is welcome before him. And perhaps when we are able to know that there's this deep love that's there, we could go now deep in the community, knowing that we are loved and affirmed, and no matter how they respond, there's a still affirmation that's there. It's scary, but you need that rhythm back and forth with the father, with the community. And so as I invite the praise team up, can I invite us to take a moment to respond in prayer? Who are the three people in your life that knows your soul? Again, I'm, not, I'm not talking about that person who lives in New York who you share once a week with. I'm talking about someone you share life with that you give them access to your life. And they know not just the cliches, not just the facts, not just the opinions about you, but they know what's happening in your heart. They know the real you, the unedited version. And maybe at this time, for some of us here, this might be a time to grieve that we don't have anyone like that, even our wife. Even our husband, like that, they're not that person right now. Maybe for some of us, like we've had that person, but we lost them. We just need to grieve that. Maybe for some of us here, we really want that. And this could be just a space for you, hey, ask the Lord. Ask the Lord, I really need somebody to know my soul, just like you do, Lord. Or maybe some of us, like you do have that person. Just praise God that you could continue to cultivate that. And continue just to deepen that. But wherever we're at, our souls long for spiritual friendships. And so let's take a moment to be real with the Lord and come before Him sharing wherever we're at and then I'll close this in prayer.